Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the latest episode of River City 93, brought to you by Roughneck Scars, Icarus FC, the Beautiful Game Network, and of course, For the Culture. By the way, if you haven't checked it out already, For the Culture is doing some amazing name sets and numbers, Black Lives Matter, custom designs for teams and clubs. Go check them out in the link down below. We have a special interview with Jason Wattrop of League One Fun. Of course, you know, he bring all the spicy takes. So he dropped some big news in this podcast. And of course, he also lets us know the USL procedures when it comes to COVID. So sit back, enjoy, get your favorite drink, and always enjoy the podcast, guys. We'll check you out later. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joining us on the show today is, I believe, making his first appearance, Mr. Jason Weinkroen. How are you doing today, my man? Yeah, I, so I was going to curse you out for this being my first appearance in, what, a year and almost a half now? I don't know if you think that uh, two is too many to, to fit the uh, the diversity quota, but you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> no, it's not that. I think. Why? This is actually because you got Kai on your other podcast this week. So I see what you're doing with what most uh, leagues and front offices do. And you just put all the black folks together for one week or one month and just saying, like, see, here you go. And, and then that's it. Yeah, I see you know, what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Yeah, we got to have our diversity outreach week, you know, bring in the <laughs> one black guy that we've had for like 40 years and have him talk about the team. Um, so working, working in corporate. There's been so many times to where they like when they came town to do their diversity picture for their website or program or whatever, they look at me and I just side eye them like, don't you dare even ask. <laughs> oh man. The diversity week is the diversity week for those who have never been in a corporate job is like the funnest week. But it's literally you can get away with anything. Yeah. Like I've showed up late and it's been like, oh, it's okay, Elliot. Like you can't really do that. You can't fire me on diversity. The, the the best I've ever gotten away is so obviously my last name is Weintraub. So for people who don't know, that's Jewish, and that's like Jewy McJew face Jewish. It's extremely Jewish, and <laughs> I uh, I took off. I went up to my I went up to my boss, and it was a fairly new job when I moved to New York, and I was like, yo. I got to take off Thursday for Rosh Hashanah. And this was at a job that I was at for like a couple months and wasn't, wasn't a big fan of it. They were like, okay, cool. So they had already within two weeks uh, confused me for the one other black guy that was in the office. And then two asked me if I can translate copy for them from Spanish, assuming that I was Hispanic. So they were already on thin ice I come up in there maybe a week and a half later, two weeks later, and was like, hey, y'all, I got to take off. It's Ramadan tomorrow. And they just started looking at me like, didn't you just take off for Rosh Hashanah? And I was like, yeah, what's the problem? And they're like, oh, nothing, nothing. You're, you're fine. We'll, we'll see you Friday. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that it, it works. It works, man. Especially when you're like multi-diversity um, and everything. It works. Yeah. But we really want you to buy it. Oh, yeah. Go I was going to say, we really brought you on the pod today to really talk about COVID that has pretty much destroyed every team. It destroyed Richmond because we're supposed to have, like, what, three games already? And we've only played two. And I'm wondering when this Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale game is going to get rescheduled. But how is USL dealing with COVID and the procedures in place? Because right now it seems like it's all over the place and it's a free-for-all. Yeah, and this is something to where if you guys don't follow me, um, I'm at Home Sweet Soccer on Twitter, that I, I try to keep updated and try to be as neutral as possible. I've talked to everybody from players to staff to owners to people in the front office, 
And it's a it I, to me, there's just a no win situation with this because there's so many outside factors you can't control. So even if you as a team are doing everything properly and you're doing everything right, that doesn't mean another team is. And it might not even be necessarily because they're not following protocols. It's just because everything is different. You've got some teams that can test every other day and get results in 12 hours. And they have both the budget and they have the testing facilities within the area that can turn it around that quickly. But then you have other teams who can only test once a week because it takes them five days to get their test results. Right. And so with USL protocols is that every team has to test at least once a week. Um, and so, yeah, like factors like that. Right. now if every other team, if every team could do every other day and get results back in 12 hours, right. Obviously that would be the standard, but because that's just not, uh, a, a scenario to which every city can do it leaves for all this overlap so you have some teams that test and know immediately the day before they leave if they're good to go you've got others who don't find out until after they already played the game uh so it's just a headache and that's literally just one you know of the situation and factors out of a million so our our teams kind of have do they have like their own testing <clears throat> measures that they set up in place or is it like the league was like hey this is the testing measure that we're going to use. How does that work? Yeah. So I know that the league, the league has a very specific protocol saying, Hey, at the very least you have to test once a week and you have, it has to be this kind of test right now. If you want to go ahead and test more frequently, uh, then that's on you. You know, that shows you're taking priority and you want to make sure your players and your staff are good. That's fine. However, that costs money, right? And then, and these tests aren't cheap. They're they're expensive to get done, especially depending on where you're getting it done, the turnaround time, how busy the facility is with other tests within the state, right? So if you're in a state that's high, that you know heavily has a lot of COVID cases, and there's you know mass testing going on, then you know USL League One, as professional of a soccer league as they are, they don't really take priority over hospitals they don't take priority over you know nursing homes or whoever has those mass testing uh cases going on so yeah like i said it, it just varies it's it's the league has put in place a protocol to where it's like okay this is the minimum and this is what we know everyone can do but then like i said once a week doesn't cover it right because for these tests i believe it takes three days of you having COVID two or three days of you having COVID before the test can accurately read it. Right. So if you played on a game on Saturday and got it and you take the test Monday, there's no guarantee that even though your test comes back negative, that you don't have it because maybe it would have taken until Tuesday or Wednesday for that test to accurately read that you were testing positive. Okay. Well, that, that makes me feel a little bit better, but then I'm still of the feeling of this, like, could we be doing more? I mean, obviously, I think most of us are like, we should not be playing sports at all. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's, not, that's the honest answer, right? Like, <laughs> And then and that's something, too, to where, you know, if, if it's like the MLS or NBA and it's in a controlled environment and you see it's working, then you start presenting the idea of doing it. But USL League One is different than any other league because they have to travel. And I'm talking travel, travel. Like, I feel terrible for Tucson, who has to travel to Fort Lauderdale, who has to travel to you guys. Like, nobody should be traveling charter that often right now in this pandemic, if at all, right? And so USL Championship, they split up in the regions because they have enough teams to do so to where they don't have to depend on charter flights and everything. Um, and then, and I, it was one of the things I know um, Harry, uh, San uh San Antonio fan brought up that, you know, it should have been the year that USL championship and league one came together for one big season. Right. And I was, I thousand percent agree with that. So I talked to owners and I talked to some, some people in the staff offices about it. And apparently that's what USL league one owners wanted. They wanted to just have one season this year, like almost like a tournament style to where USL league one and USL championship would have combined it. And it would have been almost like, you know, they talked about doing the USL Cup before, so it wouldn't have been too far off from that. Uh, and the majority of USL League One owners were down for it. It was just that the majority of USL Championship owners were not. And it was overwhelmingly voted that for USL Championship owners, they did not want that. So you mean to tell me 
a U.S. soccer league in America had the opportunity to do the right thing, but they were just like, nah, Listen, we'd rather do it the hard Yeah, and, and, I don't, and I've been thinking about it, and I haven't talked to any USL championship owners because um, I would love to know why. I don't know if it's just that they think it dilutes the – the reputation of their club. Like if, if, uh, if a New Mexico or El Paso went and lost to, you know, Chattanooga Red Wolves or Greenville, or even like a two, you know, Tucson, I don't know if like them losing to a two team, you, they think that it, it dilutes the, the reputation. I don't know. I, I don't get why they would be hesitant. That's the only reason I can think of that. They would be hesitant to do that. And even so then, I think it's still the safer and better chance in this season that doesn't really, I mean, like the season's going to be memorable, but not for all the right reasons, right? Like no one's ever going to look back and point to that, you know, 2020 trophy and be like, yeah, remember that was during COVID too. Like it was going to be like, no, that was during a year we shouldn't even have been playing. <laughs> that That is very true. We've also seen from various players and when I, um, I can't remember the player's name, up in New England, he was like, I'm not playing. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm not Nick, Nick Woodruff. Yeah, and we've also seen players such as uh, Evans, the former, well, that former anymore, uh, North Texas player that decided to leave Austin Bowl to come back to North Texas. Do you think we're going to see more cases of that where players are just like, they're out on loan and just like, yeah, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Like, this just is not safe. Yep. Or do you think it's kind of one of those things where – you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because your paycheck and your livelihood is kind of depending on you playing. Yeah, and we've had a couple already in USL Championship that was just like, you know what, I'm out. Uh, the, the case with Breck uh, and the case with a lot of these players too, The if you are a loanee, you have more of a benefit, right? Because you're on loan, you have a home to go back to, you know, Brecken, for instance, you know, has probably has the majority of his family in Dallas, or he has, you know, a good social circle in Dallas to go back to. So if you're not comfortable in your position, you can say, yeah, I want to go back. I, I'd rather, even if it's going from USL championship to league one, I just feel more comfortable being home right now and being, uh, in a front off or being in a, a part of an organization that's not testing positive for eight players every week. Um, but for, for a lot of players, they don't have a choice if they're signed, right? That's, that's the commitment. That's the team they're signed to. Um, and then with the safety protocols, you know, they have to kind of stay within their own little organization bubble for the players. And then we can talk about it though, but the, the issue isn't the players. It, it's pretty much the staff and the Academy players. Yeah, that's what I feel like most of the cases of COVID are definitely with Richmond. I mean, having to experience two games already being postponed, I don't necessarily think it's the players because I think the players are the main asset. Like, if the players are healthy, this league is going to keep going. I don't think it's going to shut, shut, shut down. <clears throat> I do, however, think that most of the reason why these games are getting postponed is because it's the academy players that are going back home is the staff members going back home and then they're bringing it into this quote unquote quarantine environment. Yeah. And I, that's absolutely what it is. Uh, look at what happened for y'all against Fort Lauderdale, right? Like I've had sources and reports tell me, you know, Friday or Thursday night, everybody tested negative or Thursday during the day, everyone tested negative of the players for Fort Lauderdale and they were ready to go. And they woke up Friday morning to travel and then they got a uh, news that one of their staff had tested positive, right? And so because of that, they had to postpone the game. They had to cancel the trip, cancel practice. And then I don't know if this has been spoken about yet, so I guess I'll give you a little bit exclusive. But now Fort Lauderdale has players who tested positive. So, wow. yep. So I, it's one of those things to where – yeah, it's, it's the staff and the academy players, right? It's because even if you have this controlled environment with the with the players, and I think that the players, because they're, they're a little more responsible, they don't really have many options to go out and, and do something wild, whereas you can't tell academy kids and you can't tell staff what to do after they leave, right? I mean, you can, you can ask them, you can suggest it, you can say, hey, please take in consideration, but these people are making their own decisions. And so whether it is them being boneheaded and 
going, you know, to the beach or doing something that they shouldn't be doing, or it's just that, you know, they happen to catch it because they touch something at the grocery store, you know, something that happened airborne, you know, it, it's, it's a tough situation, but I think, yeah, that's the majority of where the issue is because I don't think it's the players. I think it's when you're having people going in and out of that quarantine environment, you're, you're not going to be able to prevent it. Yeah. So you just, you talked about how there was discussion between possibly doing a regional bubble between championship and league one one of the things that, you know, of course, you're on Twitter heavy, as I am. One of the things that also got brought up as well is, can League One do its own version of a regional bubble? This is before, like, Toronto decided to pull out, which I think is smart. Um, but there was any discussions about League One doing a regional bubble to cut down on travel costs or anything like that? I think there was early, and, you know, that I feel it's, – it's funny because it feels like that was literally, like, five months ago when it was only last month, but – I think there was discussion early, but then the issue is, you know, like Tucson, right? It's like you still have teams in, in new, you know, in Toronto before they pulled out. You still had teams that are so far apart that it's still it'll cut costs, but it's still traveling. And then you have the unbalanced schedule. And I think it came down to there's just not enough teams, right? So what are you gonna do? Play, you know, have four groups of three and then, or, you know, or three groups of four and then play the same team 18 million times. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that, so that was one of the scenarios, but I think at the end of the day, uh, especially with Toronto pulling out, they were like, Hey, it, it's probably better for us to just try to do a regular schedule. Like we would. Hmm, okay. All right. Dan. Well, oh, it's so much going on with COVID. It makes you just, just wonder. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's like I said, I don't think there is a winning situation from this, right? Like you talk to players, they are uncomfortable as they should be. Uh, you talk to owners, they, I mean, they're trying to balance out the situation to where they're trying to have a season that, you know, and, and a lot of them too, whether, whether you believe it or not, because, you know, business is business, you know, in a, in a sense, they're pushing uh, uh, an idea that this is the best way to keep their players safe. And theoretically, that makes sense, right? Because let's say there is no season, you send these players home, then what? Now they're not in a controlled environment. Now they might have to go out and get jobs and put themselves in danger, put their families in danger, right? So so I get it. And so that's why I'm saying between that, you know, the testing and as frequent and kind of the the capabilities of how you can get your results and the timing of it, the travel, um, you know, every teams are trying the best they can do, right? Some teams are doing two charter buses just so that they can abide by the, you know, social distancing and uh, protocols. But I, it's just a no-win situation, man. It, like I said, the the only thing, and I'd said it from the get-go, the the only win from this would be to not have a season. And I know it sounds weird saying that because people want to play soccer, people want to watch it. But yeah, there's just unless you know, you're in a bubble, there's no way you can avoid everything that's been going on. Yeah, that's very true. And I don't think League One or the championship is set up in a situation where a bubble, like how MLS is doing it, could really work. I mean, it's just not viable. Here. Yeah, no. And yeah, there's no, I mean, where where do you even host that tournament? Tampa? There's no place to where you have that much space for that many players and teams. And yeah, it just wouldn't work. Um, another thing that kind of popped in my mind when we were talking is, do you think we're going to start seeing, you know, player contracts have like a clause in there for COVID or teams kind of protecting themselves in case of a player uh, gets COVID coming in next year, where it's like, hey, if you contact COVID and if you spread it, we might terminate your contract or anything like that. Do you think we might see something like that? in the Mer yeah, man, I don't I think this offseason is going to be interesting and especially with the first year of the players association it's going to be huge, right? Cuz the players have to protect themselves and that now that you know people, you know, a lot of people think that the pandemic's over just because they are personally uh over it and don't want to be inside anymore, but I don't think this is going away anytime soon, right? And this is something to where in the offseason we start wondering if we will get a full 2021 season because there's a possibility this this gets worse in the in the fall and the winter when the temperatures drop, right? And it spreads more. And so 
who knows, man? I, I think you're you're on to a point though that the players association is gonna have to come back with a list of demands and list of negotiation and bargaining about their contracts and getting paid if a player is unable to play and you know and medical and all this other stuff, right? Because now it is a risk and it's always been a risk, you know, but now it's it's a very bigger risk than it was before. <laughs> well, when it comes to the player association, that's something fairly new for USL, something that we haven't really seen in lower division soccer. Um, but when it comes to that, what kind of things are they essentially looking for? Like, what are some of the demands they're asking for owners to do? I know one of the things has to be, of course, more improved contracts and, you know, higher pay, but they're also looking for, like, better housing or, uh, you know, probably going back to college, things like that, or... Yeah, I, I mean, and that's that's something they're going to have to do. And, you know, it the timing of it was terrible because it was one of those things to where, you know, for a while, you know, there were the focus was player contracts and the focus was making sure that the players were going to get paid in this season with COVID. And I think that took so much away from the long-term negotiating and bargaining that they wanted to do that after this season, it's one of those that was so big, you had to focus on that. And so after the season, it's kind of going back to square one and saying, okay, let's, let's get back together. Let's kind of start from scrap and let's, let's start from scratch and see what we can do uh, to build a better future long-term for us. Right. And so, I mean, depending on how you look on it, right. Cause if we had a regular season, maybe they already start making progress with it. But then also because of everything going on with the testing and everything going on with, you know, these protocols and quarantining, maybe that brings another light into the negotiation, right? Maybe something that they weren't think of was a national pandemic. And it's like, all right, well, now for our negotiation, we have to put, you know, things focusing on a pandemic and focusing on medical expenses and all that good stuff. So I think because it's new and I think because of this situation, there isn't a firm grasp yet. So you know, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, though, because now, you know, players will go into it in the offseason, seeing the importance of this union and, and might come back with a bigger list of demands that they were initially going to have. Okay. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, we're going to shift over to something else, you know, stop talking about the arguably the most depressing thing in 2020 outside of Kobe Bryant's death. Um, <clears throat> I got to ask you, just people- uh, like that just shows you how long this year has felt because that that feels like it was two years ago yeah it it, it's mind-boggling to me that that happened at the beginning of the year yeah literally a month later everything shut down because of covid yeah it's like some people will bring up things and i'd be like oh yeah i remember when that happened and they'd be like well yeah it happened two months ago (laughs) i'd be like oh my god i can't believe how long this year has felt it's been one of those years, man. Especially, like, I think I went from doing every at-home exercise to baking bread to any and everything, man, to, like, stay sane. We're trying to stay in the house in COVID. It's insane. Yeah, I uh, I just – I can't believe – I mean – I mean, the Oscars were, like, Parasite won in January, and, like, I can't even remember. Like, that's just, like I said, all that feels like – Three three years ago, Australia had the bushfire in March. Like all this stuff that happened, like it doesn't feel like it was a couple months ago. It feels like it was ten years ago. That it's already in history books. Yeah, like even the Black Lives Matter movement in sports. I felt like that happened so long ago. Where I was like, oh, snap! That happened at the beginning of the month. Yeah. Like it's insane. But even that, like. How do you think USL has done with handling the Black Lives Matter movement? Has there been teams that you've been really impressed with? Have there been teams that you've been disappointed in? You know, yeah. I, again, the 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 COVID thing, it, it's perspective, right? Because now it's I'm not saying it's an excuse, but it does become a priority of teams, right? And so it's tough for you know, like I I love that New Mexico what they've done. And they've started, you know, a, a, like a diversity, you know, panel or in a group in, in a way for hiring of diverse people and players and staff. And that initiative starts and it looks great. But then it's just like, how much process can you make this year because of everything that's going on? Right. Yeah. So 
I do think that there are teams who started the right way. Uh, I look at things like Tacoma. Tacoma's doing awesome series to where every week they're showing, you know, something in the uh, Tacoma area that is very focused within the black history of Tacoma. Uh, what everything from a barbershop into the history of why that barbershop is important, um, you know, to certain individuals. Um, so I think that's super cool. And it's not just black Americans, it's black in, in general, right? So you have you know, Afro-Caribbean people, you have, you know, black Asian people. It, it's a really good series to show you the impact of culture that black people have had, not just for the players on the team, but for the city that you live in. Um, and so I see teams doing things like that. And I think that's great. And then you have others who are pretty much radio silence, right? And it's like, we're going to, it, we're going to do all this and we're going to make a change, but then you don't necessarily hear from them. And again, it's hard to kind of put that target on their back because of the situation we're in, right? Because then they can just come back like, damn, we're in a pandemic. Can I get a second? Like, can y'all hold on? So uh, yeah, I, I've seen, I've seen a mixture of both. Um, and then for the league itself, you know, uh, it'll be curious to see how they go on moving forward, right? Like, I want to see next year and what what their plans will be. Because right now it's a situation where everybody is is doing some kind of initiative to show support, right? It became to a point to where corporations were doing it literally just for a reputation PR perspective, right? Because you were easily targeted if you didn't do it, right? So it was like, because everyone was doing it, it was easy to see the people who weren't. Um, so I think that it comes down to the future, right? I want to see USL headquarters say, hey, we're hiring more black staff. We are hiring more black coaches, right? I, we, are, we are putting on a, uh, a, license, a coaching license um, academy or whatever you want to call it uh, for former black players or former or coaches that coach in college or whatever, that they can get their professional coaching licenses and then have an opportunity to come coach in USL. That's the kind of stuff I want to see moving forward. Yeah, and <clears throat> I bet. it's also unique in USL that I think you have majority of the black coaches in US are in USL. Um, the ones that come to mind off the top of my head are uh, FC Tulsa, um, Real Monarchs, Harford, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. It's weird also because of USL, you also have like so many black supporter groups. Um, notable ones come to mind is Featherstone kind of Flamingos, us down here in Richmond, um, North Carolina FC. Do you think USL has like a very unique thing on their head where if they tap into it, they can really be the ones to be or be the ones to push soccer into the black community, which has always been a topic that we have all talked about on Twitter, but do you think USA has the opportunity to push that forward? Absolutely. And it's, it's one of those things to where like, because you're so close to the community, these players, like if let's say you're a black player and you go play soccer at a division two college, there's a very little chance you're going to be drafted into MLS. Right. I think MLS has had like, two division two schools in their in their top super draft picks as far as like their top 10 picks or something like that so this is a situation to where like i said you get these local club coaches you get these college coaches that are black coaches because representation matters right as a kid i wasn't going to be playing something unless i saw a other black kids and b black coaches because there needs to be a cultural understanding there needs to be you know uh, an avoidance of this micro racism that they might not even notice that they're doing when they say that I'm well-spoken or that I had an athletic play instead of an intelligent play. Right. So I need that representation. So yes, USL a thousand percent has an opportunity to take advantage of that because now you can have these black players who are playing high school, playing college. They might not be able to get into MLS right away, but if they see a direct path to USL championship, and then that can eventually lead to MLS because now you have more eyes on you or now you're a part of a team that has a pipeline to MLS teams, that's going to cause for more black athletes to stick to soccer and say, okay, I can actually see a path in this, so I'm going to 
stay as opposed to these black athletes who play multiple sports and then they go, well, I'm not going to stick to soccer because A, there ain't no black representation in coaches in soccer. So I don't feel like dealing with that. And then B, I don't see the pipeline, right? I just don't get it. And then also with USL having, you know, all these academies now, that's another way you get your kid in earlier, right? You have USL support financial and, and, and needs that you might have. And then you become almost a part of a family and you feel it. And it's more encouraging for you to stay and do it. Um, because yeah, like, like, like people have mentioned before, you know, our best athletes aren't playing soccer, right? And it's one of those things to where they could, and a lot of them start and then they don't because they don't see that pathway. They don't see the the push from leagues and staff to have more of their people, more of their representation within it. So yeah, USL has the opportunity to have that. And they already do when it comes to like, they like USL is made up of 30% like Caribbean players or CONCACAF players, I should say, that's a, that's a wild number for a third, almost a third of your league to be represented by, you know, Caribbean islands and Central American island or Central American countries. Like, so there's definitely a possibility for this to happen. Yeah, it, it's there. I just need USL to tap on into it and get the yep. right people. And- from from what I've from what I've heard, right, and like I said, we're in a pandemic, so I don't know how far back these things are being pushed, but there were initiatives to to try to get there, right? And so we'll see. Like I said, I'll, I'll be really interested to see what gets announced going into next season when you know if if we're all alive by then and if things actually settle down. Okay. Well, I don't want you to think the only thing we brought you on here was to talk about Black Lives Matter and COVID. You know, I don't know how many people are going to just listen to those <laughs> two things. But, um, we also brought you on here to talk about USL League 1, the league that we're in. What things have stood out to you so far in the number of games that have been played? What teams and players have interested you? And what teams and players have, like, truly disappointed you? Yeah, so the, the most interesting to me is the attacking styles. I thought for a short season – some of these teams who are brand new and have, you know, practiced with each other consistently for what, maybe three weeks, I thought we're, we're going to come in and kind of have a slower start, you know, have an offense to where they might want to build from the back, work, focus on possession, uh, and just kind of try to get that chemistry going and try to get things together and play a little slower. And I don't see that at all. All these teams are coming out. And they're having guns blazing, right? Focusing on the offense, trying to put pressure on a back line. A lot of these back lines are new uh, and haven't really played a a game with each other. Uh, And so, yeah, it's been fun to watch because outside of that 0-0 game, you know, between Omaha and New England, which you would assume as both teams playing their first game ever, there'd be some communication issues and timing off all these other games have just been press, 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 offense, offense, offense. And because of it, we've had some spectacular saves. We have some fun goals and we've also had some unfortunate own goals, which I think that uh, you are a little more uh, familiar with than anybody else. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we put the tweet out there that we have the same number as own goals as goal scored and games that we have played. <laughs> <laughs> if you would have told me that at the start of 2020, I would have been like, what? Like, ain't no way. But yeah, it's, I don't know what it is about Richmond. Like we find a way how to mess it up at some point. Yeah. But you know, for, for I'm going to ask you for how, what did you expect for Richmond to look like these first two games? And are you happy with it? Because again, new coach, new offensive scheme, new players. I think offensively y'all have looked good and had Akira not gotten hurt. I think like that's what killed y'all defensively in the back with communication and that miscommunication led to an own goal. And so how do you feel about the team? Um, so I feel positive about the team. I mean, coming in the year, I thought we were like a mid table team, but that was going to build upwards to being like kind of breaking that ceiling with uh, Ford and North Texas and Greenville and South uh, Georgia and them kind of, kind of breaking that up. The first two games, I feel really positive, but I'm still concerned about the midfield. And I feel like Sawaski is just trying to figure out what is the best piece to put there. 
think he I think he wants to play Cuomo and Mumbai, but I feel like it's a little bit too defensive. But then if he goes Kraft and um, Black, it becomes a little bit too offensive. So I right. think he's trying to figure out what's the best balance so that you get the most out of Kraft who can, you know, be great attackingly, but he doesn't have to do too much defensively where he makes the sloppy pass in Greenville that leads to the third goal. Right. So. Yeah, I just think I've just been surprised at the the amount of offense we've seen, which is great for a fan, right, especially in neutral, because if I'm going to watch three games in one night for League One, right, the hope is that they're all exciting, fun, you know, games. And so we, we've gotten a couple of those already. Yeah, and I mean, even – like the Fort Lauderdale FC Tucson game, which it went down to nine men, it was still a very interesting game. In the fact, yeah. that I think for forty-five minutes they pretty much played nine behind the ball. Well, let, let's, you you talk about like the the most surprising thing. I mean, they haven't won a game, so it's hard to say it. But Fort Lauderdale is the most surprising team to me so far. I wasn't on the bench about saying they were just going to be like trash and horrible like Orlando City, but man, they they look impressive. I just think they're just super young and they're they're going to make mistakes. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's exactly what. Listen, they went into that game Greenville and they and and they scored one of those three great chances they had in the first half where they should have, and they go in the halftime up one o two o. That's a whole different game, right? Then yeah. you see their bunker that they had against Tucson. Instead of having the bunker for damn near 80 minutes, they only had to do it for one half. They might have been able to do it, especially with a, a goal or two head start. And then against Tucson, right? Like that first half, they dominated again. And even playing down one man in that first half, they still dominated. Uh, Tucson had one shot on goal that whole first half, and that came after the second player from Fort Lauderdale was sent off. So listen, if like you said, it's it's just the young mistakes. But man, if they polish up and you give them another two weeks, I, I'm that's a team that I'm not trying to travel to the face because they're they're young, they're confident, and once they get that timing down, it's a wrap. Yeah, they they look like they came into a game plan unlike Orlando City, who had the most time off of any team, and still don't understand yeah. what. And listen, I I warn people, right? If you listen to League One Fun, I tried to tell y'all this was not going to be it. Um, uh, they had they were in a they were in a situation to where they had first team players that tested positive, and the game plan for this year was to be loaning down a lot more uh, Orlando City players to OCB that weren't going to be playing. Um, and so once those first team players tested positive. They they threw that out the window and said we're not going to be loaning down any low any first team players for the foreseeable future, right? So because of that, and then because of COVID, you know them not being able to get all their loan players in. So I think they had a total of five or six loanies they were supposed to bring in, and only two of them got brought in. They had three, but then one of them uh, posted a video of him with some drugs and guns <laughs> and end up being uh, indicted in a drug trafficking case. So that didn't work out. So yeah, most of that team is all Academy kids. Um, some of the, the higher perspective Academy kids that were supposed to be playing, uh, they just look lost against Tormenta last weekend. Uh, you can tell that they are, they're just trying to find themselves um, and they, they don't really know what their game plan looks like. They don't have the familiarity. It, it's going to be a rough season for them. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like in that that's the way. But we thought last year we were going to have a lucky game against them, and lo and behold, they win the first game against us. So I, <laughs> I can't trust just but Last year they had players like Tiago D'Souza in – Bagro and these players who were very good at just individual takeover and talent, right? You think of these players to where, look, this system ain't working. I'm taking this ball. I'm taking on two players and I'm going to make something happen myself, right? That's what they had last year. So even though they was getting the ass kicked for most of the year, they were still putting in goals, right? They were still one of those things to where if you had a 1-0 lead going into the 70th minute, you weren't safe with a W, Whereas now this year, I don't think they have those players. Um, 
And then when you look at the two players they did bring back with uh, Tablante and Austin Amar, they, like I said, Amar just looked lost that first game to where it seemed like everyone on that team was running with their heads cut off and trying to play fast. And he was just in the middle of the field playing slow and, or maybe trying to slow it down. Um, and so, yeah, I think maybe because he's the one with experience and you have a bunch of Academy players around him, it's not gelling, but it's going to be a long season. So you as a league one also just dropped their power rankings, which I'm convinced whoever does the power rankings doesn't watch this league because. Yeah. I mean, you can, if you go look at the pickums, you can tell on the pickums who's watching games and who's just picking uh, teams that they think, oh yeah, they, they've been popular. They should win this game. Cause somebody had picked Tucson uh, to win this weekend against Chattanooga. You can't tell me that they've watched a single damn second of this league. If that was their pick after Tucson barely won against a nine man team <laughs> the, the week before. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Ain't no way. <laughs> exactly. So for those who don't know, this is how the power rankings go. Greenville number one. Chattanooga number two, which I have questions about. South Georgia's three. Omaha is four. Texas five. FC Tucson six. Fort Madison seven. New England eight. Richmond nine, which I have questions about. Fort Lauderdale 10. And of course, OCB at 11. Hey, man. Y'all think that I have some kind of vendetta against Ford Madison? Uh, somebody in the league does because I don't know how in the world. Fort Madison is behind FC Tucson. Like that, I, I'm I'm writing a letter <laughs> if I'm a Ford fan because that's wild to me. Like Ford played, did not play terrible against North Texas, right, and gave them competition. And then last week, right, they they played a draw with Greenville, who is the best team in the league. So what what is the issue? <laughs> yeah. I- I don't know, man. And my thing is, I don't see how Chattanooga's at two. And me and you were talking about it before the podcast. And my biggest thing with Chattanooga is having seen them play two games, like they played a South Georgia team. Granted, we played the same South Georgia team, but we had to deal with travel from Greenville back to South Georgia. Like it was immense. Right. But they played South Georgia for the first game. And they more or less kind of struggled. Like, granted, they scored two goals, but they gave them a late goal to Dan Jackson. And then I saw them play against FC Tucson, and it wasn't like they dominated the game. But, I mean, they won, but it's not like they dominated. So how is a team like Chattanooga up there in second? Yeah, uh, I like you said, I don't think they dominated, but I think they won handedly. It was one of those things to where they just couldn't finish, and that's also because Beatty's out, Zaid's out, and Hurst is literally wearing a back brace uh, from carrying this team. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> But, you know, they play North Texas this week. So the same way I talked about, we didn't know if Omaha was real or not. We were going to find out how good they were. Uh, we're going to say we're going to see the same uh, with North or with the Chattanooga, especially because they have to play North Texas at, at home and North Texas don't lose at home. So this is the this is the litmus test for them. Yeah, true. I, my other thing, too, you know, we're. This is a Richmond Kickers podcast. So I got to ask a question. Why is a team like Richmond at ninth? Like you said, we didn't play bad against Greenville, and we played a very, for Moeller, lack of a part, a very good Listen, game against I don't care what place y'all put me. If y'all put me below FC Tucson, we got a problem. <laughs> because yeah, because that, that's not fair at all. And like you said, you know, y'all played – a very competitive game against Greenville had y'all not had an Akira, you know, injury might have ended up in a draw, which I think would have been a fair, you know, decision for both sides. And then, uh, you know, a scoreless game against Tormenta, but it was exciting and y'all had multiple chances. It just came down to great goalkeeping. Right. So yeah, I think y'all are definitely too low. Uh, New England, they do, you know, have a shutout in their first game, but Hey, they were at home and B, they played Omaha, who were playing their first professional game ever. So I don't understand how that holds value as much as y'all playing a or two of the best teams in the league, right? So uh, yeah, y'all literally y'all literally played 
the number one and number three teams in the power rankings had a draw and then a one goal loss to them in our second or third lowest on the on the table. Yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you, right? Like I'm I'm very neutral. I'm gonna call a spade a spade. Y'all are too low. Um, Ford is too low. Uh, the the per, the place that I, I'm happy with and I think actually deserves is uh, Omaha. I think Omaha, even if you put them at third, I wouldn't hate that, right? You switch Tormenta to second because I think what Tormenta has done, even though you look at them and they go, well, you know, they, I mean, they they haven't lost and they've been playing with, what, 12, 13 players? So they, uh, <laughs> they I think they deserve to be up there. So, yeah, I wouldn't hate, you know, Omaha being up there at three and, you know, you switch Chattanooga and Tormenta because – Omaha, listen, they they did they did the damn thing. They had the champs come and they outplayed them that whole game. And I actually went back and rewatched the game today and was like, oh, I wonder if it was that bad, you know, or if I was just hyping it up watching it live. I'm shocked Omaha ain't win this game three nothing. Um, I'm not gonna, I was watching the game and, and me and you were texting about it while the game was going on and it. I've never seen North Texas that rattle yep. to the point where, like, I think at halftime, um, Alvarez like kind of pulled the team together. It was he, you would more or less say that he was cussing them out. Yeah, it, I've well, never he, seen North Texas that rattle. He was he was emotional all game, um, and I think it's a lot. It's a lot of factors, right? It's their first away trip with this new team. Because a reminder, even though North Texas is North Texas, they're still starting eight new guys this year, right? So it's a brand new team. Uh, they're playing on a smaller field. They're playing through a lightning delay. They're playing on a wet field where the ball isn't rolling. But the thing was, Omaha came out with that high press and never allowed for North Texas to get into any kind of a groove, right? They were not – like that whole game, and I kept watching and saying, there's no way that they can withstand this pressure all game like this and this energy, and they did. They have the players who apparently are just – can run for days and are fours gumping it up. And so they – yeah, North Texas, like you said, I've never seen them look rattled like this, and they could not get into a groove. And you can tell that by they started res- re- resulting with long balls, and I've never seen that, right? To, like North Texas is not a long ball team unless it's, you know, Breck Evans shooting a 40-yard diagonal to switch the field. But, no, they were relying on long balls. And once you got North Texas doing that, you you got them in your palm. Yeah, it, it was – I got to say I'm impressed with Union Omaha. Um, I can't wait to see that first game between them and Ford Madison. That's going to yep. be interesting. Uh, yep, and I think uh, it's one of those things to where that game's going to come down to the midfield, right? Is is Eric Leonard's going to have to break up a lot of things? And then also, you know, you got Tyler and you got, you know, these these players that are just all around for Omaha, just nonstop. It, it's going to be one of those games that would either be a chess match to where we're going to get a 0-0-1-0 game or just going to open up and we're going to have a 3-3-3-4 classic. Uh, well, one of the last thing I wanted to ask you was, of course, you know, this week is the Henny Derby, and it's the one of the big Derby that matters in North America. I would say uh, this is you're very true. This is very true. Um, so yeah, I just want to ask you, like, because of course people have been asking me how, like, how do we feel about Henny Derby, but to get an outsider's perspective, what does it mean to have like the Henny Derby in USL League One, not only to the league, but also like black soccer culture and what are you expecting from this game if we could get like a little little preview from it i'm pretty sure you guys are going to talk about our league <laughs> yeah man, listen like i it's it warms my heart and i don't i don't i both the hennessy and the henny darby <laughs> it warms my heart man because it, it's one of those things to where it's so authentic and it's, it's one. And like, I, I would go to games, I go to silverback games, I go to games and there was never really a black community. Right. And you would have your, your online, you know, you have a couple black folks that watch the game you talk about, but it was never a real community. It was never a real situation to where you would work with them. Um, so this is, this is so dope to me. And then the fact that the teams also get behind it and they make sure that they, you know, share that content and show it and it shows that they, that they're proud of what y'all are doing and they're proud of this community. They're growing. That's the kind of stuff that 
got me into League One in the first place. This is the kind of stuff that I wanted to see, right? League One's whole thing was, you know, their hashtag was we are one, I think, for their for their inaugural season, right? And it was all about being the the community league. And so the fact that, you know, we have these local teams with heavy black support that are able to then come together, form this, you know, authentic supporters derby, and then the teams get behind it, rally behind it, everyone from the players to the front office. This is it. That's why I said it's, it's the only it's the only derby in North America that matters to me because it's not just two teams that are playing that are rivals because of proximity or two teams that are rivals because they've had close encounters in the back. Like as fun as El Plastico games might be, this is something that where I feel it's everybody involved into that. Right. And, and of course also y'all got the dopest damn trophy in North America. It's, it's simple <laughs> as that. It, it's a very dope trophy. I think yeah. <laughs> a lot of people have access is that like, the original hitty bottle that me and Kyle have sent each other. And I'm like, yeah, that's the original now, one. Now let me ask you this. So let's say two, three years down the road, USL League One expands. We got 20 teams, right? Now we've got four teams with a, you know, a huge black support. Uh, they've got their own black supporters group. What happens if they want to get involved? Is this something that you see is going to become you know, uh, expanding to multiple teams, or is it always going to be y'all and Ford? I think it will always be us at Ford because it was like, it's weird if you look at Richmond and Ford because there's so many parallels in the two organizations. It's like Ford is the little brother to Richmond is the bigger brother. And it's like Richmond's trying to hold down Ford, but it's like everyone loves the little brother and they can never get in trouble. So it's like... <laughs> Is this personal? I feel like this is personal. Like we both, this is both affecting our lives. Yeah, exactly. You know, it comes across that way. But I mean, it's always going to be that unique thing between Ford and Richmond in the sense of this is truly a game between two organizations, two fan bases that see them see themselves so much at each other, but it's not like nothing where it's pure hatred. It's right. not like. Omaha and Ford, where it's like you look at the Twitter comments, you're like, all right, there, there's some there's some hate in that tweet. Whereas like Ford and Richmond, it's we can joke with each other, but if something really comes down to it, it's like we have each other's back. And I think that's what makes this dog unique. I agree. The 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 big question is though, is and I, I you know, I knew I was coming on here, I knew this was gonna come up. So as a Hennessy connoisseur myself, I wanted to bring you a suggestion. So you ready for this? Yeah. So in the Caribbean, you know, I'm, I'm Trini, so I'd be going to the Caribbean every year. They have what a lot, you know, some people don't know is Hennessy White. And it's exclusive to the Caribbean region. Have you had it? Yes, I have. And I love it's, it. It's amazing, right? It's absolutely, it's like, it's like when, when Romans and Egyptians and everyone talked about the nectar of God, it was obvious, it was obviously just Hennessy filtered with this grape wine that and distilled in this great wine that they've made with Hennessy White. So yeah. let's say three years one team hoists the Hennessy trophy and wins the Hennessy Derby. I feel like at that point they get a bottle or a trophy, however you want to do it, of the Hennessy White. I can see that. Hopefully it's Kyle paying for it and not me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know I if I, I, as a supporter of the Derby, of black supporters groups, of just in, in black culture and soccer in general, for the first one, I will donate the bottle myself. Okay. I like that. I like that. I'll take that. I, and we'll call so, yeah, and I don't know, and I don't know. We can we can brainstorm names. You and I can get offline and, and talk about it, but we can get some names going the call it the you know the Hennessy Dynasty or something like that, where if you win three years in a row, you get to hoist that 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 taste of Hennessy that's just a little bit sweeter than the than the original. Man, that, that would taste so great with a league title as well. <laughs> first league double, that would be so awesome. Yeah. Um, what are you looking forward to in this game on Saturday? Uh, hoping that we do play this game and COVID doesn't decide that we owe the money again. But what are you looking forward to? What kind of player, what players stand out to you in this game? Yeah, so Ford has a thing to where they don't press and they don't necessarily in, in, in invite you in, right? They pick and choose 
when they're going to disrupt you. So if you're in the midfield, you're building up position, you'll watch. There's moments to where two players both, you know, have that chemistry and, and have the same idea and they both will attack the ball to try to cause a turnover. So I think the biggest thing that I'm looking for in this game are counters and open field play, right? Who's winning the ball in the middle and how fast can the defense get back? Right. You got like Matt Bolduck, who apparently I I was unaware is the is the fastest player in the league the way he was booking uh in the the other day. So you know if if Richmond wins the ball in the middle how fast can Matt Bolduck get upfield? How fast can these players get upfield to where they can spark this offensive attack? And how fast can Ford get back? Right? You look at their their back line. You know, I don't know if uh, Crystal is going to be playing, but Connor and Josiah are both big dudes, right? So can you get in behind them if you win a ball in the middle? Uh, we watched in that North Texas game, right? That second goal. That's kind of what happened to where you know Connor makes a mistake and North Texas is able to capitalize off of that. And then the same way the other side, right? Like how fast can y'all win, you know, get back on defense if y'all lose the ball in the middle of the field? Because when they have Paulo, Don Smart interchanging between the wings and then you have people that can overlap like Jiro and Pato, it's going to be tough where if you lose the ball in the middle of the field and you've got seven players up and only three back, you're in trouble. Uh, so I think that what I'm watching for in this game is who's winning the ball in the midfield, who's got the patience to choose when they attack in the midfield to try to go for the double team, uh, and who has the athleticism and the uh, energy to get back on defense. Okay, so pretty much what you're saying is that Richmond needs to bring football habits and pads to knock out all of four Madison players. Got Listen, the way North Texas won that game was from setting the tone in the beginning they were not letting J.C. Banks get that ball, right? They fouled him, I think, four or five times in the first 20 minutes I had in my notes. It was wild. And so, yeah, maybe you, you bring Popeye out there and Ian Antley <laughs> to uh, to set the set the mood quick to where you're not going to allow Ford to, to interchange with those wingers on the attack, right? You, you stop that early. Um, I think a big player for y'all is going to be Akwe. Because Akwe is one of those players who can be on the back line or play in that central defensive midfield role. And so I think him and Eric Leonard are the two players I'm watching the most this game because they are going to have a huge responsibility to, like I said, kind of stop that attack before it even starts. Yeah, that, I was talking about it before the backwards podcast, and Akwe is definitely a player that I think if he – I can make a strong case that he might actually be the Richmond Kickers captain next year if he stays. I think he might leave. But it seems like when he's in the tempo and when he's in the flow, Richmond plays on a whole different level versus yep. when he makes an early mistake and things aren't kind of going well. It, it works differently when he's in the mood. And and I get playing him in the back, but I think y'all are better when the, the higher he can get up in the field and be more a part of it, I think y'all are better because – Again, he's able to stop those attacks and intercept the ball, and now you're winning the ball back at the midfield line as opposed to your own box to where you have to reset, you have to then play out the back. He wins the ball at midfield. That's when you can throw those those through passes in, Bop, in Mopwe and um, Bolduc and, and Riley Kraft, and now you have a better offensive scheme. So I know with Kyle Venter being out that first game, that was the reason why he had to be in the back. But if Venter's good to go and you can bring in Ivan or Shinovsky and you can get him up further in the field, I think that's when y'all are at your best. Yeah. Real quick, do you know what's going on with Kyle? Like, is he hurt just anything? I, I'm Yeah, I have no idea. I'm assuming it's a, it's an injury. Because um, he – he pl- did he play last week? Or he was on the bench last game? I'm trying he to remember he start. He was on I can't the- remember if he started or if he was on the bench. He started against South Georgia, right. but they pulled him out in the 55th minute, and I couldn't right. really tell. Yeah, so I'm assuming then for, for him to not play the first game and then him get pulled out, because I remember he played, I just couldn't remember if he started or not. It's it's probably definitely an injury. Um, and I can tell you from you know the, the conversations I've had with players because of the kind of lack of preseason to where – they had a preseason, then it stopped, and then they kind of just went to doing nothing. A lot of these players are dealing with some injuries and dealing with getting back in game shape. 
Okay. All right, then. Well, man, we've been on the pod for an hour. I thank you once again. I promise you this will not be the only time we'll have you on the pod this year because I'm pretty listen, sure. Man, listen. <laughs> you can't you can't be doing this diversity week with me and Kyle no more. It's it's unacceptable. You're right. I definitely can't, man. But I thank you once again for coming on the podcast, man. Um, I know you already said it, but where can everyone reach out to you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Home Sweet Soccer, and then uh, you can find me and Ira on uh, League One Fun. It's our weekly podcast that covers the whole league. That's League, the number one in fun. And uh, I'm the more, I guess, outspoken of the two. So if you are someone who doesn't want to hear somebody yelling like Stephen A. Smith, give Ira a follow at Ira Jersey, or I think it's Ira F. Jersey. Let me uh, let me make sure I've got this. No, it's just Ira Jersey. Okay. I regret you on Twitter. Let's just make that short. He has his <laughs> other one, and then he has like the real right, drink. right. Ira F Jersey, you gonna get like financial advice and economic information, which in this in this pandemic ain't nobody trying to read. We don't want to hear how terrible this environment is. So follow him at Ira Jersey. That's where the soccer content comes from. <laughs> well, with that being said, guys, keep us on the good side. We'll catch you guys out later.